FinTech Hunting is hosted by Michael Hammett, JD, CMT, keynote speaker, author, and founder and president of Next Level Advisors. Join Michael as he seeks out tech visionaries, leading lenders, trailblazing executives, and other financial influencers to bring you actionable insights and lead generation tactics, all centered around industry greatness and success. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new episode of FinTech Hunting. We have a very special guest for you today, a mortgage technology expert, an industry influencer, an incredible networker, and I can honestly say the most entertaining person to ever ride in a cab with. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Eric Kuwilia. He is the Director of Product Marketing at Ellie May. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. Yes. Uh, entertaining in a cab is something that I uh, <laughs> I strive for. <laughs> I think you've mastered that. So once, you know, things open up from the pandemic, if you're at different shows, for any of you listening, if you have an opportunity to ride in an Uber or a cab with Eric, it is well worth the time to do that. It was quite entertaining. So, <laughs> Eric, you know, we both live in Michigan, but with the pandemic going on, we haven't had a chance to, to see each other. I think the last time we saw each other was in Dallas for the next conference. Things have changed dramatically since that time. The pandemic is here. We can't travel. All conferences, for the most part, have been you know, canceled or have gone virtual from now until the end of the year and who knows what the beginning of next year. So how has the market changed and how do you see the role of networking and interacting with people? How has that made your life more difficult or a different way to engage with people? Yeah, no, it's, it's you know, the world has, has changed, right? Um, I'm actually going to probably give you two different perspectives, a personal perspective and then a professional perspective. <laughs> from, a, a, from a personal perspective, um, this, uh, this may, might be a little bit controversial, but um, there has been a, a couple silver linings. Number one is, you know, um, amongst all this, I used to travel quite a bit, as did you, Michael, right? We all kind of know that, and a bunch of us probably have listening to this. I, I will say, al although I would not, I would not trade it for what's happening in the world today, but it has been nice to not travel uh, as much as we have before. We've got to spend a lot of good time kind of with the family. <clears throat> uh, probably they might complain a, a probably a bit too much, but um, <laughs> but I've actually, I've actually enjoyed the you know the ability to work from home um, and actually you know take on some of the projects and, and spend more kind of time with the family and, and and be around them. So from that perspective, again, I would not trade it for what's going on in the world. But if I had to find a silver lining, that's definitely one that I, I would probably pull out you know, from all this that's happening in the world today. But um, from a professional perspective, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, to me, this has kind of been uh, a catalyst for uh, showing the industry the importance of interacting with people, not just face-to-face, -face, but, you know, finding um, different ways to interact with, with customers, uh, different ways to interact with prospects. Um, I think this has been kind of building for quite some time, right, Michael? As you know, there's there's always been these ways to interact with people, right? Video conferences is, is nothing new. Social media is nothing new. Uh, even virtual conferences to some degree has been out there, but obviously hasn't been really pushed to the forefront because, you know, the, the driver to do it hasn't really been there. So this is un unfortunately, again, I wouldn't trade it for what's going on in the world, but, you know, unfortunately it's been a catalyst to kind of force not only just our industry, but, you know, pretty much any organization or any industry to adjust the way that they're thinking and how they're going to interact with with 
with conferences and it's gotten or just with with their customers and prospects and just to well, break I out think, oh sorry go ahead michael yeah go ahead i was gonna say i think that's a great point because people are now much more receptive to the video conferencing people are much more receptive to engaging with us whether it's on social media the importance of personal branding and i think you know personal branding so this many times has a bad reputation because a lot of executives think it's very ego driven and i have always found the people that are the best at personal branding rarely talk about themselves but they're always in front of everybody mm -hmm. yep yeah exactly I mean, that's been the most successful Kind of campaigns out there is the authenticity, you know, behind it, right? I think I, I think there is two camps to your point, right? I think there is those that may come off, you know, potentially ego driven. Um, you know, unfortunately, we've seen a couple examples of that recently, and then there's a bunch of them that have done it the right way, uh, you know, being truly authentic to what their messages is trying to convey, uh, and not and not and, and in fact. <laughs> If you're thinking about it and you can't think of one, that means they're doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, but there is it, it, this will pose kind of a, a new problem. I, I think I'm not entirely sure, but you know, with everyone going to virtual conferences, spending more time on video, uh, spending more time, uh, you know, face to face on the computer than they were kind of, you know, face to face with customers is it's going to be it's if it hasn't already, it's going to be fatiguing. So, you know, these conferences that are popping up and these these events that are popping up towards the latter half of this year and arguably already into Q1 of next year, you know, people's interest, I, I'm curious to see what people's interest is gonna be because they might be fatigued with all of this, right? Which will then force us to be even more creative than we are now. I don't know what that looks like, but I just, I get the sense, even I'm already kind of like, okay, video camera's coming off for this meeting. I don't need to, you know, see everybody today. You know, right. that type of thing. So I'm kind of curious to see what that fatigue kind of goes into, but yeah. Well, and I think you're already starting to see some of that. And one of the benefits I'm seeing of that fatigue is it's making people up their game. Yes. You know, I know some conferences now, there, there's a couple conferences coming up in the next few weeks. One is the uh, California Mortgage Bankers Mortgage mm -hmm. Innovators Conference. And I know to get lenders engaged and everything like that, they're adding gamification which I yep. haven't seen before and lenders can actually attend for free if they interact and if they participate in a number of events they'll get points and if they accumulate enough points then the registration will be free that's you know, so I think we're, we're starting yeah. to see people get more creative and it's now not just hey jump on zoom jump on go to let's have a quick call and let's call it a virtual conference I think we're trying to really see that evolution so I'm encouraged by that. You know, there, there's still parts of it that will never make up for the face-to-face -face contact. Us going out and grabbing a, a dinner and breaking some bread and laughing together or meeting people in between sessions. That's the part that I think I missed the most from, you know, not having any of the live interaction in the virtual, uh, you know, exhibits, ex virtual uh, conferences. I think the content is getting better uh, but mm -hmm. we still miss that interaction. All right, so yeah. we're talking yeah. fintech hunting, and uh, for those of you that are new to this podcast, we, we've had over 40 episodes, uh, but many of you, if you didn't hear Eric's first podcast, this is his second time <laughs> joining us, and in the first one, we talked about him and I were at lunch a while ago and discussing and brainstorming this podcast, and he's actually responsible for helping come up with the name fintech hunting, so I would be remiss for not thanking you 
before that, before we get into discussion about tech. That's right. Well, thanks, Michael. I, I definitely appreciate it. It's been a, you know, we've had a long lasting relationship and it's, it's enjoyable to see kind of us, you know, out there in the marketplace, which is great. So lots of fun. All right. So we're going to talk tech. And one of the things I keep hearing, you know, we, we've talked about, okay, people are now on digital more, you're seeing more content being distributed. And I keep hearing about AI. <laughs> Tell me AI. AI. AI, so artificial intelligence, What what's your take on AI? You know, is it real? Is it not real? Is it happening in the, in the mortgage space or is it still just a buzzword that people are trying to throw on all of their materials, but they don't really have it yet? Where do you see as kind of the current state of AI? That's, that's a really, really, really good question. So let me, let me kind of preface this with a a uh, a legal sub <laughs> a legal disclaimer is that I, I am by no means an AI expert, you know, especially when you start getting into the actual technical details of it. But I I, I do obviously carry some opinions uh, based on you know kind of what's happening and, and what we're seeing, not only just in our industry but even even cross industries. I've, I've been this has been a topic of mine um, probably for the last year or so which obviously AI has obviously been, been out there longer than that. The actual technology piece behind has been out there longer, longer than that. But um, it's, you know, I've read several books on it probably the last year or so. I've probably read seven, maybe even eight, eight books on kind of the topic, but not necessarily around the technology piece, but around the social impact of it. So let me kind of, let me kind of back up and, and, and answer, answer your, your question. And I think by, you know, to help answer it, it might be good to kind of define kind of what artificial intelligence is, which is really, you know, the theory and development of, you know, computer systems able to perform really, uh, you know, tasks that normally require a lot of human intelligence, right, and a lot of contextual uh, evidence, you know, such as kind of visual perception. A really good example of this, Michael, is like, you know, if, if, if I'm in Kroger and I see you, you know, four aisles down, right, I'm going to be able to take in the context of where I'm at, the facial features that you have, right? Um, process all that information to understand that that's you, you know, four aisles, four aisles down from me. And that's the ability for a computer to do that automatically. You've seen it with, you know, Apple Photos, right? Where they have the, the face recognition. It's, it's, it's taking in those inputs and making a logical judgment around it. And then even taking a step further, taking, you know, even down to speech recognition is another good example, right? Maybe you and I are just on the phone uh, with a group of people and you start talking, I'm probably going to pick it up that, that it's Michael Hammond on the other side, you know, or as a member of that group on the other side, just because of number one, I'm processing the context that it comes into. I'm, I'm familiar with your voice. I'm putting it into relational um, areas that I can actually process and say, yep, that's Michael Hammond, you know, as part of that group on the other side of the phone. And then ultimately making and taking in all those bits of data and making a decision around it and so on. So that's kind of a long-winded, you know, definition of artificial intelligence, and and you know, my opinion, and again, this is kind of my my opinion is from what I can gather, and this isn't just an industry-specific thing, you know, I, we're still at a, you know, if you look at the the total potential of artificial intelligence in any industry, right? Um, I think the the, the opportunities are, are endless, right? But I believe where we're at right now, as it sits right now, is is in a very early stage. You know, I I would call it kind of the, you know, infant to early early toddler stages of when you watch kind of child development, right? So what's happening in in our industry specifically today, where it seems to be going, is a lot of these AI tools, um, or excuse me, AI technologies. I shouldn't say tools. I'll explain that here in a second. But a lot of these AI technologies are really developed around 
gathering information and inputs that come in throughout the mortgage process, right? There, as you know, as we all know, there's a ton of data that comes in, and that data comes in a thousand different formats, right? Whether it be a conversation, right? Maybe an email transaction, a series of documents with unstructured data on it, um, structured data from the LOS, and then you know the current AI platforms that are out there is basically taking that information and trying to rationalize it. And, and I think we're at that kind of early stage AI in the industry, uh, and it's still kind of learning, right? You'll, um, we use it, you know, at Ellie Mae, you know, formerly Capsule on our doc recognition and data extraction technologies, where we're in the process of just continually learning to even know what documents even look like, right? And then extracting the relevant data from them based on what we've learned on what document context and when they come in and that type of thing. So. You know, that's where I feel kind of artificial intelligence is in the marketplace. It's still, it's extremely advanced. So I don't want to, I don't want to downplay like where we're at, Michael. <laughs> right. Because to do that is extremely important, but I really think we're in that learning stage and, and um, consuming those inputs in the mortgage process uh, that are actually driving a series of technologies on top of that. Right. So. Well, and I think as you talk about it, one thing that, that I see an observation that I have is AI technology itself is not in its infancy stage. It is very developed. Like you said, it's very advanced. How we're applying it and using it specifically in the mortgage space is still at a very infancy level. Correct. So unlike Correct. some technologies where you say the technology is not really proven, it's a very early stage technology, I think AI, the technology itself, has many proven components, but we're still trying to learn where are the best ways that we can apply it right. in the industry. And as we talk through, I'll give some examples that I've heard as I've talked to people on this podcast and in other conversations. But the other term I hear a lot of times, and I don't know, is it, is it different? Is it synonymous? What is it? But it's, it's robotics process automation, RPA. So mm -hmm. tell me in your mind kind of, how is it different or how is it the same or how does it complement AI? Yeah, no, it's actually, those things are, are commonly tied together for obvious reasons, right? And, and, and Michael, you brought up a really good point. Yeah, the, the technology behind AI is, is very seasoned, right? And it's, it's only getting better, but you're absolutely right. The, what we're using it for and how to apply it is, is exactly right in its infancy stage. So, so the way I, I kind of see AI and RPA, they can act independently, right? They can be symbiotic in relationship, right? And when you look at them, you know, independently, AI, again, is kind of that, you know, understanding what's coming in, rationalizing the data, and then putting out some kind of output to make some kind of decision. Whereas robotic process automation, it could be coded, meaning that you can just hard code, you know, what used to be a manual task to have the robot just kind of punch numbers and, and program it. I mean, we've seen bots take on the form of, you know, you program an application to go visit a website, enter in some login information and, and press an order, right? Just to make an order for title or flood or whatever the case is, right? That's a kind of a, a programmed RPA. But where it gets interesting is where that AI and RPA kind of become symbiotic, meaning that the artificial intelligence is taking in that information, kind of like the inputs that I was talking about the disparate data you know, platforms that come in and then rationalizing it, right? And this, I'm gonna use a really dumb example, so kind of bear with me, Michael, but <laughs> look, at, look at the ways that, that you can say Michael. You can say Michael or Mike or Mikey, right? There's like, a, you know, you could probably come up with a, a thousand different ways to kind of you know, the same thing. 
right? What AI is doing is saying, look, I understand all those things. I'm learning new ones as they come in, but I'm going to rationalize it as Michael, right? And then once we have that rationalized data set, right, that's where kind of that RPA can then say, hey, there's that rationalized data set. Let me go grab that. And then now I'm going to go automate a process with that information after someone else has kind of cleansed it for me or made it or made it make sense that I can actually use it. So that's where it becomes interesting, where they, they become kind of a symbiotic relationship. You know, AI, you know, R, excuse me, RPA is arguably or it can be and is in many cases a customer of the artificial intelligence output. Right. So so it's, it's interesting if you kind of break it down into that simplest form. I mean, you know. To me, that's where that's where it gets really interesting, right? Where you you have technologies out there consuming large amounts of information, right? And then it's teeing up that data, right? To have these bots, these RPA processors, whatever you want to call them, use that data to then automate kind of key 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 steps in the process. And it's interesting, like you know, we were talking about kind of COVID and and what's happened here. I mean, you know, even that. Uh, has been a catalyst for a lot of this desire to, to to take on more of these these automation software, just because the amount of volume that lenders are going through right now, you know, many of them have grown over 100% in a arguably overnight, right? Arguably overnight in many cases, and to take on that volume, the only way you can do it is by exploring you know different automation steps. So, so I don't know if I answered your question. That's kind of what we you were did, and I. I... I think it's very interesting as you're talking about volumes, now we're trying to transition from really cool technology to how can it help, especially under current market conditions. You know, I, I heard Doug Duncan, you know, the economist for Fannie Mae the other day predict that it's gonna be a $3 trillion year. You know, mm -hmm. one of the best years in what, 17, 18, 19 years. So most of the lenders are dealing with, they have a capacity issue, mm -hmm. right? It's not a, hey, where am I going to get the next loan? They're not struggling to find it. It's they have it, but how do I balance capacity with all of the loans that I have in my pipeline? So what are some of the ways you're seeing AI or RPA or the combination of the two being used in the mortgage industry right now? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it you know, has to do with uh, kind of that, that consumption of the Disparate data sources, right? And I know that's kind of a, a mouthful, but you know, if you look at you know the typical mortgage process, let's use I'll, actually I'll just back up. Let me use the 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 ADR, the automated document recognition technology that we use, right? This is how this is how we are uh, we are applying it, right? Is you know as new document types come out, as people make changes to document names, as um, new data requirements come out, as new regulatory requirements come out, as, as new tools that utilize this data come out, our ADR and ADE engines, document recognition and data extraction engines, are constantly learning from the pool of customers. So again, going back to your point earlier, Michael, is that you know, the technology itself is, not, is nothing new, but the ability to consume it and use that information is, is where we're kind of, you know, where we're at. And also making sure that we combine that kind of human element into it too to, to validate the output, right? And make sure that it's actually usable information and so on. So, so what? So again, kind of going back to what you asked, you know, where we see it is really in that consumption, at least on the AI side of thing, is that is the consumption of that data and then rationalizing it and making some contextual decisions around it based on what's come in and the transaction it's associated to, and then teeing up that information. Right, that that cleanse data, that rationalized data set, whatever you want to call it, 
to some kind of RPA tool that then processes that information to automate kind of key steps. So, you know, some of the things we've seen out there is the ability to calculate income. Well, it's not just calculating income, right? It's, it's, it's knowing that there's a thousand different ways to say regular pay, regular pay, base pay, overtime pay, you know, there's all kinds, of, there's about a thousand different ways you can say base pay. And those engines have to constantly keep up to date and learn those new, those new variations so that the calculation is actually valid and makes sense on the other side when the, when, when the bot gets it, the, you know, the process automation bot gets it. So we're seeing a lot in that rationalization. And, and, and again, that's why I kind of utilize that symbiotic relationship is AI is there to kind of consume, process and standardize and learn and grow, right? That kind of learn set. And then the RPA, the bots, whatever you want to call them, are using that information to then automate, again, income calculations, uh, we're actually in the process of, of um, launching a credit analyzer, which will analyze a lot of the credit elements against what's been submitted and so on. Um, and, you know, the ability for our engines to learn against a large pool of customers has been extremely key for us. You know, another, another good example, one more, Michael, sorry, one more kind of a no problem. tracking a little bit, but, you know, the other thing that, that I think where, where people are at is that people are learning very quickly that AI works best when it's, when it's exposed to the masses. So uh, someone explained it to me once, like pretend if you had the exact same teacher from kindergarten through high school, you'd probably learn a lot, right? But think about how much you learn by getting different perspectives and inputs because you change teachers all the way through kindergarten through high school, right? It'd be an interesting kind of social study to see what would happen, but it's the same way with these AI technologies. If you're if your AI technology is only exposed to certain learning elements, right, then it's only going to learn as much as it gets in, right? So the broader, so we're seeing now more, especially with us, is broadening that 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 teacher base, I guess is probably the best way to put it, you know, <laughs> getting more teachers in the input, right, to, to kind of, you know, learn and grow as, as time goes on here, so. Well, and I think you give some really good examples, and a few of the other examples that I've seen you know, you were focusing really on the mortgage process and where it's being applied there. And I think that that's critical and that's going to hopefully eventually lower the cost to originate and mm -hmm. really handle some of those capacity issues. I've also seen it applied in the mortgage industry, what I'll call kind of on in ancillary areas. Uh, one example would be um, now that everyone or the majority of companies are still working remotely because of the pandemic, you know, if you're running a call center, part of the magic of the call center is you had someone walking around listening to all of the calls, giving input so they could continue mm -hmm. to bring loans in the door if you're in a consumer direct world. That's well, right. If everyone's remote now, you can't do that same model. So what do you do? And I've seen AI applied to phone technology so that it can listen to all of the conversations. Because if you were a sales manager and you had to listen to 40, 80, 100 hours a week of just the phone calls, you would never get through all the data. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if AI can now go through all of those and find patterns and say, hey, this is when the per prospective borrower is dropping off. This is when they're losing interest or this is when they have the information. And here's the five types of information that are asked most. Mm -hmm. You can use AI to start analyzing and crunching that information you now can, and then if you applied robotics process automation, you now then could instantly pull up scripts about right. what are some of the next things that caller should be saying so that they can provide the information that the potential borrower needs. That 
that's one that's example right. that you wouldn't that's think right. of it in the traditional sense of how is it being applied in mortgage, mm -hmm. but it's actually helping through the process. The other one that I recently heard of is on the internal support desk of a lot of lenders now, they're starting to use AI tools to really handle a lot of the redundant mundane tasks. For instance, onboarding, if you're onboarding 50 new LOs this week, there's a handful or more than a handful of steps that you gotta do every time, but you don't need to necessarily pull your key personnel to go through some of those steps. How do they log in? How do they get their password? And then in a support role, it answering a lot of those questions like, hey, how do I reset my password? I can't get into this application. Well, do you really need to pull a high-level executive or a high IT personnel to answer that? Or can you let the bot start answering? So those are a couple examples I've seen that aren't directly related to the mortgage process in and of itself, but helping lenders through the use of AI and RPA. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we see it on lead manager essentials too, even on the LMA side. You know, you bring up a good point. You push that technology to the front and now you're really starting to help out with, you know, customer engagement, right? Uh, acquiring that, that, that customer, hitting them in touch points where you may not have historically, right? Just because you can automate a lot of that processes based on those inputs that you were talking about before, right? They had a conversation. Here's the five things that we pulled from it because this creates some kind of trend. And then all of a sudden the RPA fires off some message to the borrower and say, hey, we thought you might see this. I'm just gonna make up a really silly example, but you know, rates just kind of went down. I don't know what the message might be, but you kind of get the idea. You can start to, to your point, fire off those messages and educate the people so that you get a better customer retention experience as well, which is cool. Absolutely. And it's amazing how quickly this call is going and we're kind of winding down on this episode <laughs> and we could keep talking about this for hours, but yep. I want to make sure we get in as we're, we're winding down uh, and you're always welcome back to be a guest. We can continue this conversation because it, it, there's a lot of great stuff happening and I'm sure people are taking a lot of notes, but where do you kind of then see the industry going or what are some projections? I know neither one of us has a crystal ball, but where do you see some AI areas that you think AI is really going to explode or expand in the mortgage space, you know, the rest of this year and into 2021? Yeah, I, I, I really feel that that, you know, if you if you step back and and look at the, you know, let's call it the manufacturing process of the loan. Anytime where you see somebody's head going from one screen to the next, right, and, and doing manual data comparisons and checking boxes and things like that, and, and making adjustments to guidelines and what kind of data has been coming in, uh, incorporating these new asset income aggregators and, and appraisal, and, or excuse me, collateral aggregators that are out there. Um, you're going to see a lot more automation around those things and really present and, and really get into an exception-based process is, is, is kind of my opinion. And that includes kind of the front end, you know, like, you know, qualifying borrowers in and out, you know, that type of thing. You'll, you'll see that, that kind of push all the way up in, into the front part of it. And I think that's going to happen relatively quickly here in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. Um, but, I also, but I also think there's an important element here is that, you know, the mortgage process itself has traditionally, and I think, for the foreseeable future, will continue to require a very strong relationship. So what I think this is actually going to do, Michael, is allow us, us, the lender, us, everybody, right, in the industry, to be more hands-on, 
and more um, relational or relationship building with their customers, right? And allow them to, to take that extra step and really, you know, put that human interaction kind of into the process. I know it's kind of a, a play on what we've done over at Ellie, but uh, I really feel that the human the human element in this process needs to needs to stay. It's a strong relationship, it's still a very big transaction, but I think a lot of the you know menial tasks that happen in the process will be automated, you know, very quickly here. Well, and I think that's an excellent point because I think so many times people get intimidated by the technology and it's going to take jobs and it's going to eliminate people. And to your point, when you start going to more exception-based models, you let people work on the areas that they really need to work on. And if we can improve relationships, I think that's so critical in the mortgage industry. You know, the average borrower is going to get seven to 11 loans over the course of their lifetime. If we just focus on the transaction, then maybe we get that one transaction or maybe we get the second one and no more. But if we build longstanding relationships and customers for life and borrowers for life, you're going to have the opportunity to do that. And I think AI can help that. Eric, you've covered a lot of great points. I, I know there's a lot more information out there. <laughs> I, I believe even you guys uh, have something, what AI meets HI. Explain what that is, and is there a way people can interact with that and get uh, involved in that form if they want more information? Yeah, yeah, no, thanks. I appreciate it. No, it's been a lot of fun. Um, it is a topic we can talk about for a long time. But yeah, so you know, we recently created an, an AI meets HI community. And for those of you that are listening that attended the the LMA virtual experience, you might've heard this term from Joe Tyrell's keynote speech, but or keynote session. But AI meets HI means artificial intelligence meets human interaction. And we created this opt-in community uh, to not only let you know what LMA is up to, but you know we're sharing you know pieces like this um, that, that come out. Um, we just were about to launch one that Rustify did with Forbes not too long ago, which was kind of a survey around AI. So it's kind of a, a community to just kind of learn about what what it's all about, um, the perspective that we have on it, and so on. So if you want to join, um, you know, let me know. Uh, visit lma.com forward slash AIQ. You can see it there uh, as well. So we'd, we'd love to have you join. Excellent. Eric, it is always a pleasure having you on the show. You are welcome back anytime. Thank you so much for your time and insights today. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. Love it. Great time. Fintech hunting is brought to you by Next Level Advisors. Next Level Advisors, where businesses come to grow.